if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We're going to welcome back Jen Hamilton today on Horse Chats. We talked to Jen a little while ago. We did talk about her new book that we will talk to in more detail today. Before we do that, though, I've just got to remind you about horse welfare. Okay, so horse welfare is of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. So this is why within the courses at International Horse College, you'll only see methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and humans. So if horse welfare is important to you, go on and have a look at the courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352 and chat to the friendly staff. I'll just bring you back to Jen. Jen um, chatted to us a little while ago. So if you'd like to listen to a previous episode, just go to horsechats.com, search for Jen or search for Hamilton and hear about how this book came to be then I think you'll appreciate this chat a bit more. And I often say to people, go back, listen to a previous chat. And I think if you go back, listen to the previous chat, listen to all the education that Jen gave us within that chat, and then come back to this one. Now, Jen, welcome back. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) It's great to talk to you again. Now, we've got this book, okay, and I know that the first part of it is before we begin Thoughts on Training and Coaching – we talked about how the book came together. Um, we did talk in your last chat about training and coaching, but can you give us a little bit of a summary of this chapter, you know, just about your thoughts on training and coaching? Well, it starts out with sport requires passion. Yes. And I talk about passion and actually use my famous quote, the great thing about sport is that it enables you to care passionately about something that really doesn't matter. Anyway. And and I've got to interact. I've got to say that when I first thought that, I thought, what, what? This is, you know, it doesn't really matter. And then the more you think about it, the more you think, that's a really good saying that you've got there. I know it is. Okay, so I talk about passion, and passion is the, and I'm quoting from my book now, passion is the link to achieving your true potential through sports you can grow as a person. And if you recognize only if you recognize what they have to offer you. So you can fulfill your passion if you understand what's happening and, in, uh, and like the horses. And then I go into the, the introduction. I actually talk about um, the starting my riding and things and how the development of stride control happened. When I first started riding, they just plunked the jumps down and off you went. And we jumped some very big jumps. But there were no related distances, and the guy who had the best eye kind of won. But in the 60s, um, course designing came in, and and measured distances came in, and so riders had to develop a strategy on how they were going to ride the courses, and it was all based on stride control, the length of the horse's stride. And so I talk about that a little bit. And 
then I go on to put my thoughts on training and coaching, which we discussed a little bit in the last thing. We did, you know, and I, and I think if people are listening to this and thinking, well, what are your thoughts on training and coaching, go back, listen to the other chat and then come back. You'll appreciate this episode more if you listen to the previous chat. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, your basics. You know, we talked about basics, position, rain aids. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your thoughts on that. You know, like it's it, a lot of people say, oh, sure, we've got to get the basics right. But what basics are we missing out on? Because everyone talks about, of course, you've got to get the basics right. But we're obviously missing out on things. Okay, well, first of all, to me, the basics to begin with are position. Because it's through position that we can communicate with force. We can't use aids if our body isn't in the right position. And it also is more humane to the horse. And so position is making the horse's job easier as we communicate with them. And I talk about well, jumpers mainly, but um, three-point position and what that means. Three-point is you're sitting, it's flat work. Two-point is up off the back. And then you could have, you can you know, go from there. I mean, I think equitation as we do it in North America, as long as it doesn't just become an art form in itself, allows riders to go into any of our English disciplines because you have a strong foundation in position. Position is what saves your life. When you're in trouble, the better your position is, more likely you are to survive. So I talk about, anyway, position. And then I have a thing on quite a bit on rain aids. And you're talking about five different rain aids and how the rain aids affect the horse's weight. Direct reins shift the weight from front to back and this type of thing. So can you just go through and talk about those rain aids? Because, you know, if you talk about the five different types of rain aids, if people haven't heard of that, can you just briefly explain? Okay. Mm. Sure. And I, I, when I'm doing clinics, I... I say and there are five different rain aids, direct rain for pace and balance, indirect rain to bend, put the shoulder in place, bearing rain, stop side motion, open rain, fine tunes the track, bearing rain, stop side motion. You see, and I just... Anyway, a direct rain, first of all, your hands are to be over in front of the withers, straight wrists, thumbs tipped in on a 45-degree angle, quite close together. And a direct, in a direct rain, the force of the rain goes directly back to your hip on the same side. And direct reins are, are to control pace and balance. We ride forward from our leg into contact. And that contact, that package becomes balance. You have a packaged balance. Then if you want to slow down or stop, it's direct reins. In actual fact, it's the outside direct rein that does it. Inside rein is keeping your head straight. So direct reins are for pacing balance. Second rein aid is an indirect rein, where the force of the rein goes towards the horse's, towards the rider's opposite hip. And the indirect rein 
takes the weight off the shoulder and directs it on the opposite hip and hock. And it actually bends the horse. It is, and we're only talking about one side of the horse right now. So an indirect rein is to use, used to take weight off the shoulder, directed on the opposite hip and hock. Then we have an open rein. An open rein, your hands start together, an open rein opens up away from the horse's neck to about your, the rider's hip. And an open rein is used to guide a horse. An open rein does not disturb forward motion. So if you're coming into a jump and you use, and you're off center, if you used a direct rein to bring them in, pull them in, what you're doing is changing the pace and you can literally pull the horse out of shape. So we'd use an open rein to guide the horse back onto the track you want. If you extend an open rein, more it becomes a leading rein and then that's used on very green horses or on very tight turns on jumpers. So we have direct rein for pace and balance, indirect rein to bend with the shoulder in place, open rein fine tunes the track. And then we have bearing rein and the bearing rein goes into the neck. It's basically a neck rein. And what a bearing rein does is it stops the rubber necking on a horse. If you think about it when you're riding, the more you pull a horse around a turn, the more crooked they get, they get bent out of shape. And so we use a bearing rein on the outside to stop the side motion. And then we have a pulley rein, emergency stop. Hand goes into the, one hand goes into the neck and the other one comes straight back quite strongly. It's also used, a pulley rein's used in eventing when they're going from the gallop into the zone of the jump. Now, those are the rein aids, but the horse has two, two sides. So when you're using direct reins, it's almost always two reins together if you're using it to control pace. When you use an indirect rein, your hand actually opens up, a, the opposite hand opens up away from the horse's neck a little bit to allow for the bend. And then it comes on with some direct pressure to control pace, balance. It controls the amount of bend and it holds them on the track. When you use an open rein, you almost always use in your other hand, a bearing rein. Bearing rein, usually with an open rein. And then you have pulley rein. So what you're doing is you're using both hands with technique. Do I talk too fast? <laughs> no, no, because, you know, it's it's like, and I love talking to you about this because I think, oh, yeah, I know that, but we'll just explain it, you know, just for listeners who don't. And then I go, no, you're just explaining it in a lot more depth and, and just logical sequence. So, you know, if you're asking me for different rain aids, sure, you know, I can say that, but I'm not going to say it in as much depth as what you are. So I love that. I love that. Now, this is all theory, and we talk quite a lot about putting the theory into practice, but what does that mean? You know, we can we can learn about – and you know what? We have um, a little bit of a um, – I shouldn't say a negative thing because it's very positive, you know, because we've got a registered training organisation. So it's a government registered training organisation and we do do a lot of the training online. So it's not that it's online training. 
it's that when we're learning theory, this gives you a whole lot of flexibility to learn in a different environment where you're not necessarily sitting on a horse. But then you've still got to put that theory into practice. You can't just learn about horses online. You can't just learn about horses in theory. You have to put the, the everything into practice. So this putting theory into practice, I'm really keen to hear your views on this. The theory is important, but you know, theory without practice, that's not horsemanship. Well, I think, first of all, people have a tendency just want to ride and they don't want to do classroom work, which I think is important, and have visual pictures. And the way I get around it is I draw pictures in the sand all the time. You probably saw me doing that. And so they're getting it. So when I'm putting theory into practice and we're talking about using rain aids and um, connections and things... I start out over poles and teaching people the feel of the canner. And, of course, I'm in North America, so we we feel in North America that God made the horse under the imperial system, and God said the horse shall have a 12-foot stride. We're not very good on uh, metric. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this book is based on the imperial. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's much easier, isn't it? You know, you get used to and and you – well, I've, I've found that you've got to be able to walk a yard stride and a metre stride. So you walk your yard stride between fences, but if you're measuring, dis, you know, like a longer distance or something, then you might go, you know, measuring a track, say, then you might go a metre because, you know, you, you've got to have a bit of an idea metres. So I think it's – it's having the two strides. You've got to have a yard stride and then a meter, a meter stride. So you've got to—I don't know. I've just found that you've got to know both. Uh, let me let me just put another one in the equation. I think you have to have a three-foot stride. Well, that's a yard. That's a yard stride. Yeah, maybe that's not it in Canada, but yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. three foot is a yard. So if you've got that, yeah, exactly. but then you've also got to have your meter. Yeah, yeah. We're actually bilingual in Canada. Um, we have French and English. Yes, of course. In the horse yes. world, we're bilingual because we do distances in feet, but we do heights in metric. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So we've talked about um, getting, you know, riding over the poles, getting the feel in the canter, keep talking about this, putting theory into practice. Yeah, and then I, um, so you start having people get the feel of different, um, stride length, and then I ta- actually talk about how to use the ring properly, the arena properly, and that, um, I mean, you have, 
going to the jump and then you have away from jumps. People have a tendency to only think about going to the jump. They forget leaving the jump, kind of start celebrating a little bit early, going into that turn, and they forget that away from one jump is to the next. And so there's quite a bit of discussion about how to use the arena properly. And I talk about setup times and recovery times. When you're coming out, when you're on the short side and you're going into a line of jumps, you're on a setup time. That you're setting up the stride that you know is required in that line. But then as you land off the last jump of the line, you're going into recovery time, which is where you have to rebalance, fix up anything that's gone wrong, make sure you have your lead and this type of thing. And then you have that recovery time then goes into the second time. So that people are actually using the rings properly. I'm very big on um, serpentine. I, I don't do a lot of circles. main reason is people have a tendency to hang on the inside ring too much. I was going to say, do you use the serpentine to use as a comparison? So you compare the size of one half circle to the other and the number of um, strides. Okay. And I, I like serpentine because it's always preparation of getting to the jump because what we have to do is do a turn and then go to a straight line. So I do a lot of um, serpentines and doing transitions, making the horses rideable and making the riders more definite about where they're going, that they have to ride definite tracks and do definite transitions. So they're paying attention all the time. Not They're not wandering I just wander all the time. Okay, so that's what putting theory in practice is about. And then we go to rideability. Yes, tell us a little bit more about the rideability. Okay, so rideability, what I've done is now gone from what were, to begin with, poles, and now we're putting jumps up and still having to do different stride lengths. Because I know in your last one you talked about, you know, the horse starting off maybe with three stride lengths, but then moving on to seven stride lengths. You know, like by the time we have an experienced horse, it's not, yeah. Yeah, but in this, we're just still basing it on um, three stride lengths, a middle one, a closed one, and an open one. But and now we're doing them with jumps. And But we're, I'm still doing serpentines in the exercise, like, one of the exercises, we've got a 60-foot um, line. It's a four-stride line. That's 18-point-something meters that they have to trot into the first jump, canter down in five strides. Then they do a serpentine with transitions and things. And then they have to canter the line in four strides, which requires a 12-foot stride. So the stride's been opened up. Then I usually have them do a transition on the side of the ring having them come back, because now they have to do it in five strides. That's so adding a stride. So the stride has to be shortened to a 10-foot stride. So the riders are getting the feel of what's happening and learning to set it up, because we've already talked about set up and recovery times. Kind of pulling everything together, trying to take the drama out of the whole thing. And I do... So I do, there's a lot with poles and that type of thing. And just 
getting a feel of what's happening and le- teaching riders to take responsibility. The horse doesn't know what's coming up. The rider does. Now, Jen, these exercises that you're talking about, we're sort of talking about them, oh, yeah, you do a serpentine, you do this exercise, that exercise. But within your book, there's some very good diagrams. So, you know, I think if people are not, they're they're sort of thinking, oh, yeah, Jen's just another jumping coach. No, don't think like that at all. Go and get the book, and we'll talk to you about how to get the book soon, but the diagrams are really special, and I think um, that will explain in a lot more depth of what um, what we're talking about when we talk about these exercises. Yes, the the whole the um, graphics in this book, everything there are diagrams, and Christina Wilkins from um, Horses and People did all of the um, graphics, and the book would be meaningless, just a bunch of garble if we didn't have these graphics. I don't think it'd be garble, but I think that the the graphics, you know, the graphics certainly can explain, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. And I think uh, the graphics are important. They're a good compliment. Yep. Exactly. Now thinking about, you know, horses can jump. They've got a good canter or not so good canter, but if we want to improve the horse's technique, how can we do that? Just give us, I know that we're not going, you're not going to give us enough information in this chat to go out and just completely transform a horse, but exercises, what can we do to help improve the horse's technique? Technique in the air you're talking about? Yeah, both. You know, technique within the paces and also technique in the air. Okay, technique within the paces, I just really think it's stride control. You also have to start out with a horse that has a decent canner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you make them more elastic through opening and closing the stride. Part of the thing is also having a strong enough horse and a fit enough horse, which is cause celeb for me. I don't think horses are fit enough. But um, when horses are young, I mean, they're, they're not strong in things. And so we see kind of weak technique, they'll dangle and this type of thing. So we need to strengthen them up. And that's done with a lot of flat work, transitions, you can, you know, do gallopings and this type of thing. Um, I like doing bounces. You can't overdo bounces on a young horse because you'll... And when you say bounces, you know, like a bounce with two jumps or three jumps or is, you know, like like just going just to two or more? I like putting three cabaletis really down. If you're running out... Sometimes we just have two. And different distances, I have them from nine up to 11 feet, depending what I really want to do. Um, but cavalettis are a strength and flexibility exercise. And so, because they're having to rock back on their hocks and then their front ends, they start learning how to use their front end. Horses that have a poor technique in front quite often are just weak behind. And they don't rock back enough, so they're slow getting their front ends up in the air, and that's when we see them hanging. We're natural, they're hanging because they didn't have enough time. And so if we okay. can get the horse to slow down and rock back, that gives the horse time to get its front end out of the way. So then 
There, I mean, there are so many gymnastics that will help technique. And again, it's the gymnastic has to be appropriate for what you're doing. If I was schooling a young horse or some kids and things, I would give a simple gymnastic. We're trying to work on, you know, an older horse that needs to be sharpened up. Well, you have a different gymnastic. But my favorite gymnastic is a cross rail, 18 feet to a vertical, 21 feet to an oxer. And I call it the cookbook gymnastic. And it's it's great for, um, you build it, you know, slowly. But it's great for kids. It's non-threatening. It's great for teaching horses to wait. It's a very good gymnastic. I always go back to it if we're having a problem with a horse. Horses lost his confidence, so, you know, something. Put him back in that gymnastic. And they seem to settle down. Just sort of moving on a bit to problem solving. So, so we've got a problem. Tell us the type of problem solving you talk about in your book. There's a bit of an overview about that. Okay, well, we actually have it's a, two case studies, two different horses. One is a green horse that has the worst canner in the world. And the other one is quite a, a, he's a good jumper. He's done very well. But he's going up in the ranks and starting to have, he's getting up to meter 40s and he's starting to have a few problems. So with the green horse, we spend a lot of time cannering. I mean, the horse literally couldn't hold a canner for six strides. So I, just had the girl out cantering. And then we started doing um, bounces. And we did them in soft serpentine, you know, like a bending serpentine thing. So the horse was having to change direction. And the horse did them every day. You know, four times. But every day. And then it did a lot of <clears throat> just making it canter, and we lunged it and things. Um, we got it so it could, it was cantering better, but it, it, um, yeah, look, we took it from a horse that really couldn't, couldn't canter to actually, you know, going to, you know, some competitions jumping, you know, up to a meter 10, which is pretty good from a horse that couldn't canter. The other horse was a horse that. Um, he was overshooting his arcs. So we, and the bascule wasn't in the right part of the geometry of the jump. And so we did a lot of gymnastics with that. I did, um, he, he was overshooting his arcs. So we did um, a gymnastic. There were planks. I love planks. Three white planks which had very good ground lines on them. They were um, 22 feet apart, which means that it's a one stride and it's tight. Um, and he had to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So he learned to get the shape of the, um, the arc. The pole on the ground is what made him start backing off in the air. Uh, yeah, he got really good. And 
four years later, when he comes here and sees the white planks, he goes, I know what to do. <laughs> He's never forgotten those planks. And he went on to do very, very well. He he was he he finally retired at a meter forty five. Okay, okay, <laughs> he's done well. Mm, mm. Yeah. Now, while we're on the course, tell us about the course walk in relation to developing our options. You know, sometimes we walk the course, think it's going to go one way, and then it doesn't, or. Just, just if you could summarize, <laughs> summarize this a little bit, you know, within um, within the book and what you covered within that book there too. Okay, with the course walk, we actually, I actually showed how to walk the how people assume they have a three foot stride a yard step. They don't. It has to be trained in. Personally, I think. There should be some place in your stable or your yard somewhere where a yard is marked out and then 12 feet is also marked out. So you learn to step it properly. The meter one is easy because you can do it on the dressage arena. You know, that's easy. But, but yes, I think the, the yard one or the feet one is important. I know that, you know, we used to have it marked out. We had to practice. Oh, it used to be good when the when the jumps were twelve feet wide. You just walked the pole before you went. Ah, yes, yes. But now they're not twelve feet. Anyway, that's another story. So then, the, the reason you walk the course is to find out where you're going, the number and quality of strides, and the options that are out there, because very. Rarely are you really set on exactly the same thing for everyone, unless you're indoors at the World Cup in Las Vegas. But there's room for interpretation on courses based on your horse and what's coming up. So you're walking the course to find out where you're going, and you're building a strategy based on your horse. And you're basing it on the strengths of your horse. You must know your horse's strengths. The option you take is based on strengths. So you get in a jump off and you decide to do a tight turn, right hand tight turn to a wide oxer and your horse doesn't turn well to the right. Well, that was kind of silly. You need to go wider because that isn't an option for you. But maybe you can gallop somewhere that someone else can't. So the course walk presents the options available. Riding, training makes the options rideable. That's what it's about. I think while we've briefly covered what's in the book, I think if people are interested, don't just think, oh, yeah, I've listened to the chat. I don't need to buy the book. I would say, you know. Oh, yes, they do. You you need to go through and this has got um, nothing compared to the depth of knowledge, you know, the depth of um oh just just exercise and the graphics in the book too we've got to got to talk about that i think um that will certainly give you a lot better idea because of the um those yeah those graphics in the book but not to scare people off this book is fun it's actually it's a fun book to read to tell you the truth there's some good stories in it there's some pretty pictures and things yeah people should get it Yep. 
Where's the best place to get it from? I mean, it's available on Amazon, or is there somewhere else we should we should look? Oh, for? everything is available on Amazon, but <laughs> yes. people should really um, support their local people. Yep. And so the Australian distributor is horsebooks.com.au. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty easy one to remember, but we yeah. should also have that on the, um, you know, just go to horsechats.com, search for Jen or search for Hamilton, and on the bottom there, there'll be a, a, a detail, contact details for horsebooks.com.au. Mm-hmm. And if they go to my Facebook page, Jen Morrison Ham- Hamilton Equestrian Coach, all the information is also there. Okay, and that link to your Facebook page will be on the chat as well. Now, Jen, can we put your email on there as well? I think it's jenhamilton60 at gmail.com. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yep, perfect. All right. Well, before we finish, though, final thoughts on the book. Final, you know, just to say something to give a a message to our listeners before we go. This book, I actually wrote this book. As I said, it was it started in New, in Australia there things, but what I did because I'm a school teacher, I started giving out handouts to riders because they'd go, oh, I don't know what to train, I don't know what to train when you're not here. So I gave them things. So basically, this book is so you can actually train on your own. And I think you do need lessons and things, but I think people need to train on their own. Because that's when you're learning and you're in non-threatening situations and you learn to feel and see what's happening. And it becomes the exercise in it helped to take the drama out of this whole thing. Take out the scariness. Yeah. And make it fun. Okay. Make it fun. And uh, yeah, the more you do it, the more fun it gets, the more confident you get, the more you enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. Um, the more that and you're more confident, the horse is going to be more confident. So it makes it fun. Yeah. I think the important thing is when people are listening to me, I mean, they probably think, oh, she's a little, you know, whatever. I believe in having fun with horses. And um, I think they could read some of my stories and you'll see. I, I believe in when you play, you play hard. When you work, you work hard. Mm-hmm. And I think if we, you know, we we listen to your previous chat too, that comes out, you know, the fact that, um, you know, during COVID people are having more fun with their horse and it's not just all about about the next jump and the next competition, but, you know, that we talk about the welfare of the horse. I think that's important that you enjoy the horse for the horse, you know, not just all. And while we want to compete, you know, and I think think competition, you know, it's great. It's, It certainly gets us goal focused and going somewhere. But it's still not all about the competition. It's um, got to think of the horse and the connection and everything else as well. Yeah. Well, I think the important thing is if you just get too competition-oriented, you become stale and the horse becomes stale. Horses need variety. And you're lucky in Australia your horses get turned out and you do so much more than they do in North America. I mean, there are kids in North America who have never ridden outside of a sand ring. Yeah. I'm appalled. No, I, I certainly know that. And I know that, um, you know, when I first went to the UK, initially it was a big deal the first time we went outside. You know, horses were pretty fresh because they never get outside and 
You know, there might have yeah. been one or two falls from the less secure riders, but we rode inside <laughs> for a long time first before we were allowed outside. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's a safety aspect, you know, that, that short people have got to be able to, you know, control their horsing and do things before they can go outside. But I think on an ongoing basis, it's lovely to get outside, lovely to just ride around and, um, you know, just go down to the cross-country paddock and just ride around or go to the beach or, yeah, it's all pretty yeah. nice. Yep, yep. Yeah. Jen, thank you again. Um, just all those little tidbits that you give us, you know, just just the extra information that you've got, the depth of knowledge that you've got. Um, it's been wonderful chatting with you again and uh, looking forward to our next chat. So I'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate it, and I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you. Okay, then. I'll talk to you later then. Okay. Bye-bye. Be well and healthy, everyone. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 